Thanks, Mike. Good morning. Well, this is what happens when four-year-olds run out of paper on the, in the middle of a church service. It goes quite well with the purple top, so I was thinking about putting another one here. But <laughs> If you um, weren't here last week, which I wasn't, but you listened to the podcast, uh, Rob got us started in this series of Exodus, um, laying a good foundation, uh, giving us a bit of an oversight of not just Exodus but the first five books and a bit of the background and context and where they all sort of fit in. And I encourage you to listen to that if you missed it. Uh, we're going to be looking at an eight sort of uh, part series in the first 20 chapters of Exodus, looking at God's nature, God's character. We're going to learn about more about who God is in relationship with his people. And this morning we're starting that off with um, a God who is faithful to his promises. I don't know if you like those movies, you know, where they start... Um, with a bit of the ending and then they sort of have a few scenes and then it says like, oh, seven years earlier. I don't really like those ones because I feel like the whole movie, I know where it's headed and it it seems a bit too predictable but I'm going to do that this morning. (laughs) So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 2. I know we just read it but I just want to read these couple of verses again. Verse 23, years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. As we consider the circumstances of chapters 1 and 2 of where the Israelites are and what they're dealing with, there is a, a promise that was made before these circumstances and, and is, is being fulfilled in the circumstances as, and is fulfilled after these circumstances. The promise that God made to Abraham that his people would be made as numerous as the stars, a great nation, that they would be living in the land, the promised land of Canaan. And this promise is being worked out now in the lives of the Israelites here in Egypt. And just as we looked at a few weeks ago from Joshua 6, some quite a time down the track, the promise is being fulfilled in the generations to come. There's a short genealogy in chapter 1 of Exodus speaking about the the sons of, of Jacob, of Israel. Um, But really after the first five verses, Exodus really just picks up where Genesis left left us. Uh, The last about 14 or so chapters of Genesis is about the story of Joseph, uh, sold, uh, which is well known, sold into slavery by his brothers who were quite jealous. The fall and rise of Joseph in Egypt as he becomes 2IC to Pharaoh. And they settle there and it's all part of God's promise that the Israelites would be in a foreign land for 400 years. And now in Exodus 1 we come to a time where where Joseph and his brothers, they've come to, to Egypt, they've settled down, their families are there but that generation have died off and there's a new generation. 
and the Israelites are growing in number just as God had promised. And it says here that they were outnumbering the Egyptians. There were many differences between the Israelites and Egyptians. Israelites were shepherds, the Egyptians were builders. Egyptians worshipped many gods. Israelites had one God. In fact, they didn't even actually, most, for most part, live in the actually same area. And we come to a stage where there is a new king, a new pharaoh, one who has no knowledge, uh, most likely by choice, but has no knowledge about what Joseph has done, who Joseph was, the importance that he, that he had, uh, the important position that he had, that the fact that Israel are there because of Joseph. And so he sets out on a plan because of the fear he has that they are outnumbering the Egyptians, the foreigners are outnumbering the Egyptians, the natives, and he senses that they're going to join the enemy, that they're going to overthrow them. And so he says it's time to get tough, it's time to cut them down. And he wants to keep the Israelites down on number. He wants to keep them in the land but down on number. And the crazy thing is the decisions that he makes actually leads to the Israelites being escaping Egypt. And so he has a plan. It's Pharaoh versus God. God's promise to make Israel into a large nation and to live in Canaan against the Pharaoh who wants a complete opposite. His first plan is in verses 11 of chapter 1. It says there, the Egyptians made Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labour. They forced them to build the cities of Patham and Ramesses as supply centres for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. I wonder if the Israelites were looking out for their union because this would be an ideal time. You wouldn't probably see this these days. But there, of course there were no unions in that time. The Egyptians were ruthless in their treatment of the Israelites, hoping that this would make them so depressed and in a state of not wanting to multiply, not wanting to, to have children and have families and to become a, a greater nation, a bigger people. And things get really tough for the Israelites. God is in control. As hard as it must have been, the Israelites knew God is in control, that he has a purpose in it. And the challenge for the Israelites were will they trust him? And Rob spoke about that last week. That wherever the Israelites found themselves it was always about 
will the God's people trust him? And we're in that same position today, aren't we, as his people? We don't necessarily enjoy hard times when circumstances of life are gloomy and hard to deal with. But in my experience and speaking to older Christians, it is in those times that there is amazing opportunity to spiritually grow. To be able to cling to God and say right now I trust you in this, that there is a purpose, that you're in control. So plan A didn't work for Pharaoh. The more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. Plan A didn't work, so he goes to plan B. Verse 15, Then Pharaoh the king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua, I think. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. There were no 20-week scans back in this time to find out the sex of the baby. Um, having been in a room where, uh, with Rachel where we've had both girls delivered at, at the Austin at Mercy, uh, I can appreciate just perhaps to a small degree, if that's okay, Coach, uh, the, 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 pain, uh, the pain and the, what you must be endured for, to, in order to give birth. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the emotion and the agony of thinking if this baby is a boy it's going to be murdered of those Hebrew women. But God used two Hebrew midwives to stand up to Pharaoh. Not two of the strongest Israelite soldiers. Not two of the most respected people in the Israelite nation. God chose two, used two Hebrew women because God is all powerful and he's not looking for the most powerful humans. He uses those who seem weak in the world's eyes He's looking for those who will be obedient and trust him in order that he would be glorified. And in this circumstance and in the circumstances coming, it's 
it's women. People who would seem weak in the world's eyes of this time, especially. Moses' mum, Moses' sister, these two midwives. So stand up to Pharaoh and preserve life and being obedient to God and his ways. God blessed them and God was good to them. Plan B failed. Uh, They became... I'm sorry, verse 20, God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. God's promise is being delivered. His people are being faithful and his promise is being delivered and it's being played out in, this, in these hard circumstances. So there's plan C. Plan C, verse 22. The Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. There's no explanation uh, here to go on to say what actually happened. Um, Did any boys actually die? I mean, I can sort of maybe guess that there were deaths. What a horrible evil man he must have been. It's hard to imagine considering these circumstances that when the people of Israel left Egypt and were in the desert just one month one month after leaving they were complaining that they'd rather be back in Egypt under this oppression. They would rather die in Egypt than be in that desert because at least in Egypt they had something to eat. And the danger is that we forget we forget God's promises. When circumstances of life aren't going as we plan, we can quickly forget the promises of God and In fact, it's the most difficult times that it's critical to trust in God's timing and in his promises. We can try to do things alone in our own strength but we can so quickly become bitter when we do that. Turn to God, trust in him and life will be perfect. No. but his promise is that he'll never leave you. And you are tapping into a a never-ending source of peace, a never-ending source of wisdom and strength. He does not change and his promises are the same. So the boys are being drowned in the Nile. What a horrible, horrible thing 
to have to deal with. And we read here that Moses was born and his mother, Jochebed, ironically after three months, places Moses in the Nile for safety. And God's amazing plan is in motion. Moses, the the future leader of the Israelites, found by the daughter of Pharaoh in the Nile where all the boys are meant to die, is taken back by his sister to his mum to be nursed. And God's plan is in motion. God is in control. Moses is, is adopted and raised in Pharaoh's household, educated and trained. God is planning something amazing. He's going to use Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. In verses 11 to 22... We're not really going to look much into that this morning. It's a story of of how Moses killing the Egyptian, escaping from Pharaoh who wanted him dead and he, he marries Zipporah in Midian. And meanwhile the Israelites are a persecuted people being ruthlessly treated by the Egyptians, baby boys being murdered. But God is at work in these circumstances. His promises haven't changed. He is still faithful and they are being worked out in his way, in his time. Will the people trust him? Will they turn to him? This is that bit in the movie where you come back to where you started. Years passed, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery and they cried out to their God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant promise. God knew it was time to act. God didn't ignore his people. God didn't leave them alone. It's not who God is. God is the same and it says here that God firstly he hears them. God is a listening God and secondly he remembers them. It's not like when you forget where you parked your car that sort of remember, oh there it is. I, I park my car in a sort of a similar place uh, most days at B3 at the Austin. Um, I'm there pretty early so I try to get the, as close as I can to the, ele- the elevator. And some afternoons uh, I come out of the, of the elevator and I, I'm walking around and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I parked there. And, I'm, I'm, and, and I'll, sometimes I'm looking for five, six seconds. Before, I, there are days where I actually push the button to see where the lights are. Like to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, not that so, it's not that sort of remember where God had forgotten. Um, the Hebrew word here is also used when God spoke, when God uh, was talking about Noah at the end of the flood in Genesis 8, that he remembered Noah and all the livestock. 
It is emphasising that God is now acting upon a promise that he has made. That now is a time for action. It was a time for Noah for the flood to stop. And now it is time for God to act in the next part of his promise. God rescues, God saves his people because he has promised and he is faithful to his promises. So this morning I want to ask three questions. What are God's promises to you? How does the world try to stop you from living in the promises of God? Not that it's the world's fault when I fail or when I try to do things in my own strength. Not to blame the world but to be aware what's on offer, what's in your face when you go out into the world, into the communities. And how are you claiming victory in the promises of God. If you turn to 2 Peter 1. Two Peter chapter one verses uh, three uh, to five first part of verse five. Two Peter chapter one verse three says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. God's promises, and and, and there are thousands of promises and I'm sure there are some that come right to your mind that God will never leave you, that he he is your source of strength, that he is your source of peace that he has sealed your salvation with the Holy Spirit, that God is coming again. He has given us great and precious promises. And it says there, these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. God has chosen you to become like Christ. That is a great promise. God has chosen you to become like Christ. It part of it to become like his nature. That is who we are, that we can identify ourselves in Christ. And if we are going to fulfil our purpose that we are becoming Christ-like, then we need to know more of these great promises. And we'll only know more of these great promises when we spend time with God in his word because his promises are in his word. If you think for a second that you can leave 
your Bible on the shelf all year and grow and mature in your faith, then you're wrong. Knowing the promises of God and and when I say knowing, I I mean going to his word and and finding them and, and, and studying it and understanding it and seeing it have impact on your life. That no matter the circumstances, believing and trusting in what you're reading, that he will be faithful to his promises. And knowing them will enable you to share his nature through your life. That people would see Christ in you. So do you know God's promises? Are the promises of God impacting on your life? Not only are the promises of God enabling you to share his nature but they are enabling you to escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. You know, the world promotes everything that God is against. Remember, Pharaoh did all he could to stop the promises of God. And today we face a world that is morally corrupt. A world that wants to drag you away from anything godly. So we're challenged. We're challenged with firmly focusing on what God has promised. And allowing that to impact on us that we may resist the sin and the lies and the corruption of this world. Or does our focus seem to wander to what the world is promising? And thirdly, are you living with victory in the promises of God? Verse 5 says, In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So what is your response? The first one we Jude mentioned earlier with the kids. Prayerfully study God's word. When the Israelites finally cried out to God, he heard them. He listened because he's a listening God. He's waiting for you to talk to him. He heard them and he did something about it. God is ready to be active in your life. A little girl said to her grandma, Grandma, what's that book up on the shelf? She said, well, that's God's word, honey. And she said, well, if no one's actually using it, shouldn't we give it back to God? (laughs) I'm sure it has some truth behind it in some areas of our life at times 
second one is to be patient and I know there are some people who will find this harder than others but let's be honest we all want things straight away we're in a society of getting things getting what we want when we want it as you look through a lot of the promises of God they don't happen straight away Abraham had to wait 25 years after being promised Isaac as a son King David had to wait the reign of King Saul before he was given the the title of being King of Israel have to be patient trusting in God's timing although I want it to happen right now God I believe that you're in control and I want to trust in you that whenever it happens, it happens. We need to be patient. Be obedient. Hebrews 10 verse 36. Just listen to this verse. It says, Patient endurance is what you need so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. We can't expect the blessings of of God without sacrifice we are called to give up ourselves to God not to receive salvation but because of salvation because he has died for us we have to die to ourselves and surrender ourselves to him you can't live a self-centred, sinful, selfish, greedy life and expect the blessings of God, the promises of God to be fulfilled in you. You've got to be obedient to God's will, obedient to his promises. And fourthly, by faith. Again in Hebrews 11.6, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. We are saved by faith and we are called to live by faith. Believing in what we read and understand about the great and precious promises God has given us. And by faith, living by faith that these promises would be evident and seen in our life by those around us. Do you know God's promises? Are you aware of how the world wants to stop you from living in the promises of God? And are you claiming victory in the promises of God? because he is faithful and he does not change and the same promise keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the Israelites is the same promise keeping God of today in our life. Lord and God we give thanks this morning that you are faithful and you are faithful to your promises. 
the promise of salvation, the promise of your Holy Spirit into our life, the promise to change us, to become more Christ-like and Lord, one day the promise of being in your presence, praising your name forever. May it spur us on for holy living to the calling you have on our lives. Help us surrender ourselves to you. No matter the circumstances, believing and trusting in your promises and that you are faithful to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.